This is Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Esports is a good aberration. We're still moving forward. We're part of something much bigger than sport right now. The health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hi, everyone. I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. And this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast, where we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. And there's a lot of big money getting thrown around and talked about today across the world of sports. Before we get to that, just want to say, especially to Lynchy, happy Patriots Day. Normally, we would be uh, talking about the fabled Boston Marathon. Uh, not today, but, you know, it's still a nice holiday and a Sox game. So a little bit of hope there uh, up in Boston. But it, it is a special day, Lynchy. It certainly is. In Massachusetts, they reenact the battle on the Lexington Green. That happens at sunrise. And then the Boston Marathon is, is a big day. The Red Sox always play a home game at 11 o'clock in the morning. When the marathon used to start at noontime, the marathon runners would go by Fenway Park and Kenmore Square at roughly the same time the Red Sox game got out. So 35,000 people would just finish with the Red Sox game, walk two blocks, and just cheer on all the runners that were coming by. A special day. The marathon is scheduled to be run on Columbus Day in October. And fingers crossed that things go well with COVID and the vaccinations and we can get this great tradition. A race that you've run a few times, Jason, right? I have. I mean, here's hoping because it is an incredible, incredible day, you know, in the world of running and amateur running and professional running, distance running. It is the pinnacle. Um, There is nothing like it. There's such a special vibe. And and also from a business perspective, I have to say, and I think you would echo this, Lynchy, it's very important economically for the city of Boston. That weekend is massive. You cannot get a hotel room. You certainly can't get a restaurant reservation at an Italian place for all the carbo loading that's going on mm-hmm. um, all through the weekend. But you know, it is a meaningful uh, destination, and you know, we know, and 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 I will cop to this as someone who spent way too much on running shoes and marathon jackets and gear <laughs> over time. Uh, marathon runners spend money, and uh, especially in Boston, because often it's your one shot to do it. So it, it's an important economic tool, I know, for the city of Boston. Well, over 30,000 people usually run in the race, and they don't arrive in the city of Boston by themselves. They come with family members and an entourage. So multiply the 30,000 by about 10, and that's how many people you have in the city that want to buy marathon gear, memorabilia. They want to eat. They want to drink. They might want to go to the baseball game. They might want to go to the Museum of Science. They might want to go to the Museum of Fine Arts. They might want to go on the swan boats. So it's really a feel-good weekend and, and culminated by by the race itself. And... Um, you know, hopefully next year at this time we're talking about a race on Patriots Day in in Boston. And it's school vacation week. It's a state holiday, by the way. Right. None of the schools, none of the municipal offices are open. Yeah, I always have fun memories of that race. Also, my uh, my brother's birthday, Sam Kelly. Happy hey, birthday. All right. Happy birthday. Uh, and uh, graduate of Boston <laughs> University, so it all comes together. Um, saw a number of marathons with him uh, across the years. So yep. let's talk about the big money news today. Michael Barr, you know, I think we're all trying to get our heads around what happened over the weekend with this 
proposed European Super League. It's more than a proposal at this point. You have the biggest clubs in the world signed on to do this. Six from the English Premier League, three from Spain, three from um, Italy, I believe. France and Germany have Mm -hmm. so far set out. This is seen by our own reporting at Bloomberg, the Financial Times, and elsewhere as potentially the biggest reorganization of the world of football since the mid-1950s. This is a big deal. We have an old saying back in Detroit, how are you going to play? This That's pretty much what this is going on here for a lot of soccer fans because they're not happy in Europe, especially in England. Uh, and let me add to that that J.P. Morgan is bankrolling this. Yeah. Uh, and we're talking, what, over $4.8 billion. But it has drawn criticism from fans all over the place. I think many are worried that the grassroots of the sport is going to be eliminated. So, Lynchy, you know, one of the things that this gets to the very core of is the underlying principles of European football and specifically English football, which is the whole mm-hmm. notion of relegation and promotion and essentially earning your spot. And what this would replace, and I think this is important to to explain to folks who aren't as familiar with this, this would essentially replace the Champions League, which is the annual tournament where the top teams from all the national leagues across Europe get together and play, and you have to earn your spot. This would take out for a certain number of teams, for six in the EPL uh, to start, the whole idea of, of qualifying. And, and if you were to do this tournament next year, there are a number of teams, and this is really getting people fired up. There are a number yeah. of the teams, um, including Arsenal and Tottenham, who are part of this new Super League, who actually wouldn't qualify for this big tournament, but they'd be guaranteed entry and that thus guaranteed the revenue associated with it. And that is ju- it's just making people furious. It's making them crazy. Well, if you're one of the top six clubs uh, in the top tier of this new Super League, you will, each club will get $420 million. And that's pretty tough to resist. You know, I, I, I really like this, this open league in Europe. You know, it gives teams like, like Leicester City back uh, five years ago winning uh, the Premier League. Um, I guess that's sort of like a triple-A team in, in Major League Baseball coming up and qualifying for the postseason and winning the World Series. It's a little bit of an embarrassment for some of the uh, the, the bigger and more established clubs. But this would uh, eliminate all that, and these clubs would go, and uh, they want to play. They want their cake and eat it, too, because they want to play a midweek schedule, then come back and play in their regular leagues on the right. weekend. That's not going to happen. And and one of the things that this does, I mean, I've been reading a lot about this this morning, the, the various takes, especially from the business perspective. I mean, one of the things that this does, Michael Barr, is speaks to how important broadcast revenue is. Oh. And so the Champions League, the current setup that, that I was describing earlier, where the top teams qualify, they all go play in this tournament, uh, that is a situation where, you know, there's additional revenue that that comes into play this new league by some estimates would double that to about four billion euro and so you see the economic reasoning here if you are the owners of these big teams there's just more money to be made and it's more guaranteed so the business side of it makes sense in terms of just the bottom line but the broader business sense of you know, catering to your fan base and, and keeping your fan base happy, 
that is not playing out very well at this moment. No, that's that's the whole thing. The fans are saying this is just a greedy move because there's a lot of money in that TV revenue, and the fans that are against this saying this is what this is all about. And I mean, UEFA, they're not happy at all. They're right. going to they're threatening to ban the Super League team players from national teams that take part in the Euro and World Cup competitions. This. This is, uh, yes, you're right. It, it's, it's a business move. It, it's, uh, it, there's coin in it. Forgive me for putting it that way. But sometimes you might lose some sponsorships in the process, and you might lose a big fan base, which is where it all comes down in the first place because that's where a lot of your revenue comes in. Once we get past COVID and we're full blast of people coming in the stands, that, that's where they make the money. So, Lynchy, as, as Michael Barr likes to say, I'm going to say the quiet part out loud, which is that when you look at the ownership here, and this is something mm-hmm. that, that I explored in a recent uh, digital series for Bloomberg that, that aired last week or, or was dropped last week, as the kids say, uh, and you can check that out at, at Bloomberg.com slash QT slash series. Uh, it's the business of sports. We looked into the slate and the spate of American investors going in to English football specifically. And a number of those owners are involved here. They are not English in in many cases. They are either American or otherwise foreign, uh, including uh, an investment group and an ownership group very familiar to you, Fenway Sports Group. They are the owners of Love Liverpool Football Club. Liverpool Football Club, one of the six teams that has signed on. Uh, this is not the sort of warm and fuzzy ownership that maybe we're used to seeing uh, heralded around Fenway. And also you got the Glazer family yep. uh, owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, they've got their fingers in there. Um, LeBron James is part of that Fenway Sports Group. He jumped aboard about a month ago. We reported that, and you had a great conversation with him uh, earlier this year. And this is uh, this is where a lot of people are looking to, to spend their money um, because of the the TV rights are just astronomical, which you just pointed out. And you know, think of the broadcasting entities in Spain, in Italy, and then just in Great Britain alone. You've got what Sky, you got BBC, you got uh, BT Sport, I think, over there. And this is just going to be a win-win situation for all these investors. And so it's not the little family in the little town like the, the Green Bay Packers, you know, have, have shares and they own the Green Bay Packers. This is, uh, this is international ownership. Well, and I think the other important thing to, to <clears throat> think about here, one of the other important things to think about is this notion of if these bigger teams start to pull away from the rest of the league, you know, the rest of the league is then denied some of the economic opportunity that comes along with it. That economic opportunity is so deeply tied to the communities that are served here. And that is one of the things that is just riling people up. And I think we all know, being sports fans, the passion and the local pride and and the rising and falling of your very emotion in your state of mind and how that ties to your local club, whatever we feel, I dare say, is magnified in many cases 10, 20, 100 times if you're rooting for your local football club in England. I mean, these are teams that are named after, you know, in in many ways, if you're talking about Arsenal, they are named after an Arsenal. If you're talking about Aston Villa, it's named for the villa that the the local football club 
used to play outside of. So much rises and falls, as I said, uh, on these clubs. And, you know, notably when I was working on this piece, Peter Moore, who's the former CEO of Liverpool, pointed out that in his estimation, the owners of uh, Liverpool, the Fenway Sports Group, they saw themselves, they still see themselves, according to him, as, you know, really just stewards here, that the, that the local community owns these teams this flies in the face of that in many ways. Now, the business case is we are running a business. This is ultimately good for the community, and this is good for the club. And if the club wins, then that all accrues to the local community. But it, it really is not sitting right. And I do wonder, you know, Michael Barr, do you think, just to put ourselves in the heads of the owners, do you think they expected this violent and vitriolic a, a reaction? No. Because they were looking at it as a business move. And yes, yes, sports, it is a business. But remember now, this move means that the clubs now in this super club, it frees them from playing against the smaller teams that bring in lower income. And that really has riled a lot of people. It's like if you take a, a super NFL team, and and they are playing a, a smaller market team. Well, they don't have to play that smaller market team anymore. Right. And and that means, especially if they're the visiting team, there's a lot of money involved for the local bars, for the restaurants. All of that is is hinging on this. And I don't think they expected any of this backlash. To follow up on that, let me, just so the, our, our American uh, listeners here who aren't familiar with European football understand, would this be like the Yankees, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Cubs, the Red Sox, the teams that have strong financial backing, forming a Super League and, and just shutting out the teams like Kansas City, Milwaukee, Tampa Bay, so they don't have to revenue share with these smaller market teams? Is there any similarity here? There's a similarity to, to some extent in insofar as – it will alter the schedule, and and I think Michael Barr brings up a, a really good point, which is, you know, when they're playing these midweek games, you know, often those midweek games are played against some of the lower tier clubs, so they won't be playing against, you know, a Burnley or a, a similar type team uh, going forward. At Burnley being one of the EPL teams, it's sort of lower down in the table. It's not close to London. It's you know pretty far away um, from from everybody else geographically, and so you wouldn't have a Manchester United necessarily, um, or an Arsenal or a Liverpool, you know, just going and playing there, which which brings a lot of, you know excitement and candidly money and and attention to those places one of the parallels that i'm making in my own mind i which i think is right and and this speaks to the kind of passion narrative as well as the economic narrative is the way that you've seen the power five conferences in college football really Mm. push themselves away from some of the lower tier uh college football programs and and We're all familiar with these situations where, you know, an Auburn or an Alabama or University of Georgia or University of Michigan, they will go and play, you know, a lesser team. And basically they will pay that team (laughs) to sort of go beat them up. Um, But the the lesser team, you know, needing the revenue, needing the attention is more than happy to do that. So if you take that away and and you really start to bifurcate this league the economics start to shift pretty dramatically and and so there there is an economic and there's also just this this kind of 
it, it changes the very fabric of the game, I think. And, and I think that's it is really getting to people's core. I mean, I've been hearing from European colleagues all morning who, who just said, this is all anybody can talk about in Europe, by the way. And I think American fans of the big clubs may be a little bit uh, less fired up about it, depending on how much you, you know about it. But, you know, Michael Barr, one of the interesting things about it, too, is that from an American perspective, well, well, this is sort of how it works in the sense that there's no relegation and promotion. You don't necessarily earn, you know, you're in the same league regardless of how you do in any given year if you're in the NFL or the NBA or, or Major League Baseball. And so for an American audience, they may be saying, well, I don't think this is such, it's not that big of a deal. Well, I wonder what. LeBron James, who just joined the Fenway group, and LeBron James obviously has been a very vocal person when it comes to a lot of the uh, the uh, civil rights things yeah. that have happened here in the United States. And now you have this that's happening in Europe, and I and I just wonder now, does it put him in a in a quagmire? Hmm. I'm just yeah. curious. Interesting. Interesting question. Yeah, I mean, I think we will start to see athletes maybe weigh in on this. We are certainly in an era where athletes, whether it's LeBron or, or some of the notable players in the in the European leagues, uh, start to speak out against, against this a little more. Clearly, they have some economic interests here as well. Although, I, I do want to go back before we wrap up to something you said that's really important that – UEFA has come out and said, and it and it says it has the support of FIFA mm-hmm. in this regard. And I just want to reiterate something you pointed out, Michael Barr, that they are going to seek to bar teams and potentially mm-hmm. players who play in this Super League from competing in the World Cup, competing in regional and world championships and tournaments. That would be massive if you basically say because the top players not surprisingly play for the top teams in Europe for the most part if those players are not allowed to compete for their national teams at the World Cup that that could essentially if that holds up that actually could undo all of this uh Lynchy because if you think about the notion again thinking about it through an American lens that if you know certain players made certain choices or their teams made certain choices and then they weren't able to compete in the Olympics or um, compete on some sort of world stage, players might make a different choice. Yeah, but are you going to be left behind if this Super League goes? I mean, I would roll the dice on this thing and say, see you in court. Yeah. Yeah, this is, you know... I mean, I've never seen anything like this. The Prime Minister Boris Johnson came yeah. out condemning mm-hmm. this Super League. I mean, can you imagine President Biden coming right. out and just, you know, because I don't think... National Football League decided to add another division or two more teams. It's unbelievable. And, and what's great, there are no filters on some of these people. I oh, mean, God, uh, no. the, you know, the, yeah. you, the president of uh, UEFA uh, says that he, they called everyone snakes and spitting yeah. in the face of football lovers. I've never seen anything like this in my life. 
And, oh boy, uh, we do. No. We just for a split second there had uh, the the Bostonian doing an English accent. I think we may need to. I think we may need to edit that out. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> but, it's, <laughs> but it's fascinating reading. I mean, like yeah. every ten minutes, there's a there's a new take on this thing and a new slant on it. And you know, if if you're not familiar with you know football over there and the the, the beautiful game, I mean, this is. This will tell you all you need to know about the passion uh, and the allegiance these people have to this game over there. I yeah. hope you all pay good money to have Lynchy do that again. That was, that was <laughs> just good. Uh, this is the Bloomberg Business of Sports podcast. I'm Michael Barr. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And this is Lynchy. Have a jolly good day. You can follow me at Lynchy WCBB. <laughs> and I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday exploring the world of money and sports. You're listening, I hope, to Bloomberg Business of Sports on Bloomberg Radio around the world. Oh, that was great, Lindsay. And online wherever you get your podcasts.